the toughest thing for anybody involved in science or anybody that really is digging deep into something is that communication. Sound bites fly. They work. People right. understand them. When you can really pull a sound bite out of the air, someone can relate to. Give an example. Cancer moonshot. Nothing else needs to be said. You're talking cancer moonshot. Everyone in the world knows there's going to be a lot of efforts to figure out how to cure cancer, and it's going to involve a lot of people. And then sometimes the sound bites themselves, especially with scientists, don't fly because you don't have the details. So in the case of Biosortia, my soundbite would be, we're getting at the hidden molecules of life. Now, mm. that may not resonate with someone who's not science-based because they may not even know what a molecule is and why it matters. And right. it may not resonate with a scientist because they're going, excuse me, bullshit. Those are impossible to get to. And we've only gotten to a fraction of them. All branding is personal. And it's not about who you say you are. It's about who you are and how you say it. I'm Hirsch Repu, copywriter, comedian, and brand voice expert. I've helped hundreds of companies fine tune their messaging. And now I'm sitting down with some of the most ambitious and imaginative founders around who share their seven figure and eight figure stories and next figure goals. Let's hit the brand voice runway. Taking us down the brand voice runway today is Ross Youngs. Ross is the founder and CEO of Biosortia. He spent over 30 years inventing products, technologies. He has over 75 patents worldwide, and he's driven to innovate and focus on what's better, cheaper, faster, in the best possible way, because we're trying to solve a lot of problems. Biosortia, for example, is on the cutting edge of natural products discovery and the team and advisors. You can go to biosortia.com and see who the team and, and advisors are because they want to bring thousands of novel natural product compounds to market at a time when there is definitely a critical need for this, to, whether it's to combat illness, infectious disease, cancer, serious stuff. We're engaged in serious stuff, but one of the reasons I, I really enjoy talking to Ross is because he approaches things with very grounded sense of awareness of the absurdity of life, which is, and the difficulties of bringing some of these things to market, no matter how badly needed they are. Ross, welcome to the Brand Voice Runway. Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate that kind introduction. I've got to add one thing to that introduction. Yes. You said better, faster, cheaper. And along the line of brands, I've always had that fourth word in there, which was differentiated. I uh -huh. like to think within the niches, there are riches. And I'm not the one that said it, but I've certainly learned and taken that lesson. So even in technology, even in products, differentiation is really key. Yeah, that's a good qualification to make. And all of this kind of centers around perception. And it's a hard thing to, I mean, it's a hard thing to get people to listen to science. That's one thing, because I think in our minds, maybe it's the way we're educated, that we're, we think science is complicated, 
and other things aren't. In other words, life isn't supposed to be complicated. We're always shocked when we turn 21 or whatever it is, and life is complicated. <laughs> you know, we should have known that going in, but that doesn't stop us from going out there and living. So, you know, what are some of the challenges you have faced in these three decades of, you know, bringing to market scientific products? I would say the toughest thing for anybody involved in science or anybody that really is digging deep into something is that communication. Sound bites fly. They work. People right. understand them. When you can really pull a sound bite out of the air, someone can relate to. Give an example. Cancer moonshot. Nothing else needs to be said. You're talking cancer moonshot. Everyone in the world knows there's going to be a lot of efforts to figure out how to cure cancer, and it's going to involve a lot of people. And I love those kind of sound bites. Sometimes it's so difficult for somebody in my position that is so close to something to figure out how to produce the sound bites that resonate with people and go, wow. And then sometimes the sound bites themselves, especially with scientists, don't fly because you don't have the details. So in the case of Biosortia, my soundbite would be, we're getting at the hidden molecules of life. Now, mm. that may not resonate with someone who's non-science-based because they may not even know what a molecule is and why it matters. And right. it may not resonate with a scientist because they're going, excuse me, bullshit. Those are impossible to get to. And we've only gotten to a fraction of them. So right there, even with something we may have qualified as a simple way to describe what we do, needs so much more context and information for either side of the equation, the novice or the specialist. Yeah, and I like what you said about it has to be backed up by detail. That's a very critical part. You know, people are down sometimes on sound bites. You know, the talk about sound bites is if they're a bad thing. Sound bites are are a miracle of life. <laughs> sound bites are what make everything make every door open. Sound bites open every single door to perception. But of course, if there isn't something powerful behind it, the 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 less effective even the soundbite is because if you're thinking if you have a lot you're selling a lollipop and the lollipop is no different than any other lollipop that's ever been sold and it tastes like it's cherry it only comes in cherry you know your your potential for a tagline or soundbite is limited <laughs> because, oh absolutely because there's there's nothing now you know, and I'm a big fan of Willy Wonka. If you have an everlasting gobstopper now, and you have this thing, it never loses its flavor. It tastes like an entire meal. It's just, you know, all of this stuff, you know, there's no limit to the number of taglines you could put because it runs so deep. The product runs so deep, you know? There's a creativity to that aspect on something that doesn't differentiate. And sometimes you can get an internal team to think it through. Sometimes you may want a group of outsiders to think it through. But the reality is branding really 
does matter. And you know, one of the things that we've done in the past is make things like a page protector in my other company or a baseball card holder. And what we could say with confidence is it was the prettiest page protector or that mm -hmm. it had the best, smoothest look to it. You know, that may not matter to anybody unless you're putting a $2,000 card inside of it. Then it yeah. may really matter. So that again falls down into, can you categorize something, whether it's a consumer product, into a niche that resonates with an audience that drives sales? And can those sales, because of their expertise, because of their, let's say, influence on the market, drive the sales even higher. So I think there's always an opportunity in messaging, but I can be absolutely honest with Biosortia and what we're doing there. I've been stymied by the complexity of the message. It is so hard to get across what we're doing and why it's so critically important, especially when every researcher in life sciences has been trained to do something else other than this new capability and technology. You're taking a decade, maybe two decades of experience and saying, hey folks, you might wanna look at this. And they're going, hey dude, we've been studying this our entire career, we're experts in this. We don't look at something else, we look at our specialization. That's tough. Well, that's worth diving into is why. So when I approached stuff like this, I would say, okay, well, let's break it down. Let's break it down into what problem we're solving, what their methods have yielded or not, and what this new method is poised to, to do, which seems to be the, the, the simplest way to start breaking it down, right? And if you're talking about them not wanting to go outside their specialization, tell us a little bit about that and and what that challenge is. Yeah, so I think the context about Biosortia is what we have in it, and you've got to get a little bit of background about yes, it, yeah, understand please. it. So understand that 50% of the drugs on the shelf today came from microbes you could grow at culture and scale. So Simply, there's microbes everywhere in the world. In fact, even the human is outnumbered by microbes, 40 trillion to 30 trillion. So you grow microbes by taking a sample, putting on a plate, and then scaling that up through growth cultures and then a bioreactor. Then you've got enough of that microbe to understand what chemistry it's making. 50% came from 1%, which is massive. We've not had access to the other 99 plus percent. Simply said, we broke through the barrier of having to culture. We can now go get the microbes in the natural environment, opening up this other 99%. So this is a big, big deal. In fact, I had to find out what BARD site and Google GP AI engines had to say about Biosource's breakthrough technology. And I did that in the last couple of days. Yes. And I was blown away. If you tried to use 
let's say a chat bot as a bit of due diligence. Right. I oh, don't God. think yeah. I don't think I could have written a better analysis of Biosortia than those three chatbots. But but the point here is trust me when I say this is revolutionary. It's going to change all of life sciences from therapeutics to agrochemical to cosmetics to sustainability to remediation, I can go on and on, all of life sciences. So why is it, why is it so hard for the entrenched to understand? Right. And I think Clayton Christensen, may he rest in peace, he, he passed away about two and a half years ago, wrote the book on an innovator's dilemma and disruption. So a Harvard professor that made his entire career trying to explain why things get missed. And I think he was onto it in a general fashion. But you're trying to break a concept that, you know, in that is so different from what's been done. And I've heard this about other scientific breakthroughs. It's like, well, there is no standard for it. And so they can't even look at our research because there's no standard to compare it to. Is yeah. You know, and that's and that's a problem. And it and that goes against the idea of innovation and the idea of of scientific breakthroughs. So it's it, like, it, well, if exactly. the breakthrough's too big, we can't, we actually can't, we don't have a scale that big. We don't have a measure for it. We yeah. don't have a, you know, and there is so this so I think that's kind of where you're at. Is that is there some some it, it, it's so true, exactly yeah. what you said. And when you think about it. Um, I like using this example, and I'm not going to be precise on this example because I don't have the facts in front of me, but I have the understanding of it. So basically, we all know Alzheimer's research has focused on basically the types of proteins that clog the brain. Mm -hmm. And that has been the focus for decades. But back in the 1990s, a group of researchers actually said, hey, Alzheimer's might be caused by microbes. And they were starting to produce papers that said, this needs funding and this needs research. So who do you go to when you produce a new paper with this new topic? Exactly what you said. You go to the agencies that are funding it. They send it out to reviewers. All of the reviewers are looking at plaque as the cause and the reason, and they see something that doesn't fit that dynamic of plaque, it gets rejected. So yeah. I can tell you that the first funding that occurred, now remember this was the early 90s, the first funding that got approved didn't occur till about 2019, wow. meaning they had to write scientific papers, they had to research this in virtual unfunded realm for two decades before they actually got financial support on their beliefs, actually more than two decades. So that's one of the challenges in life sciences is the reviews are done by people that are the experts in the field. You don't ever invite a generalist in to do right. reviews. Right. These have got to be the experts. So the nice thing is, is right now there is an established new, let's call it hope 
for people trying to do true breakthrough. And that's the ARPA-H, the mm-hmm. Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health. It's under the NIH, but it's a separate run agency. And they got established by Congress essentially to go look for the kind of stuff that may make a difference. Now, the challenge is, how do you take a whole bunch of people that have been doing this kind of thing and get them to really shift their gears? It's yet to be seen whether they'll shift their gears because they could fund something that looks ridiculous and they'll get criticized. They could fund something that looks like it should be funded and it may not work. So it's a high risk agency. So they've got a challenge of proving their value in the scheme of things. But I'm hopeful that we'll see some technologies come out of here that wouldn't have been funded traditionally, wouldn't have been funded by VCs that offer new hope. What happens if this first mover doesn't get it there? In other words, what what happens? Because we live in a world of, look, I mean, look at climate change. Look at all of the forces of nature converging on one another. You know, we got lulled into a sense of complacency that, you know, certain cycles of the year work in our favor to allow us to use certain resources to fight wildfires and all kinds of other things. And now everything's in upheaval because we've screwed it all up and we've taken too much advantage of, you know, of those resources and ignored the climate science. Okay, fine. So we live in a world of... Now, the what ifs, you know, we've ignored a lot of them. What what happens? Because we didn't believe it. But I am asking you, if I do nothing, that's Mm -hmm. this is how I always phrase it to clients. I say, if I do nothing, what happens? Right. So our model is to focus on getting the molecules in the hands of the researchers. We're not trying to create products directly. Right. So my leverage will be awesome. So if it doesn't happen, then some of our collaborators, which virtually anybody in the world could be one of our collaborators, and virtually anyone in the world could be one of our partners. So we have the goal of not being the company. We have the goal of being the spark plug. So I always believe strategy is key as well as capability. So what happens if these tools do not get in the hand of researchers, the cancer moonshot becomes much harder to solve. You talk about the 14,000 diseases that have no cures or treatments become harder to solve. When you talk about battling sustainability and climate change through agriculture, it becomes harder to solve without this tool. This is a massive new capability and tool that when in the hands of the researchers, they will solve problem after problem after problem. The challenge is almost everyone in the world trying to solve these problems today is indirect. Mm -hmm. We're direct. We go directly to the small molecules that turn things on, off, up, or down. And the challenge comes up, will someone be patient enough to have a conversation? Now, what I find typically about smart, rich, 
funders, whether they're running their own VC firm or they're running a family office or they work for someone that's running a family office, is they already know a lot. And they're not necessarily willing to learn. They know they're going to have a thousand presentations to them. Mm -hmm. So when they flip through their presentation, it's like, how in the world can a compelling, believable presentation be completed in the soundbite that they make decisions on? Because they'll make the decision in the first 10 to 30 seconds. Right. Right. And that's an interesting thing that these principles hold true regardless of how important the issue is. You know, it doesn't matter if you're selling bubble gum or cancer cure. The 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 decision maker is still going to make the decision that that rapidly about what they're going to do. That's human nature. And obviously people are in different positions who now who is the audience that is most critical to you who are the where does the support need to come from where do the decisions need to be made yeah so the most critical audience is also where i get the most support which is a interesting dynamic so we have got we've got major academic universities national labs that are supporting us so you would say some of the brightest minds in the world already get this and that's true but some of the brightest minds in the world has also been successful in these fields and they're running the pharma companies they're running vc firms they're running family offices they're running nonprofit organizations with 50 billion dollars plus in their coffers right but they're the smartest people on the world and on an average those groups have spent a combined time of less than two hours trying to understand this. Those other people have spent a combined time of a thousand hours understanding it. Right. And they're supportive and they're excited and they're looking forward to move this forward. They're not the ones with the funding dollars. It's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, you said it's a really, and I don't know what happened with my, this is uh, is unusual, I apologize. Um, so, so it's an unusual situation where you have the people who are supportive, not knowing as much as the people who are critical, correct? Yeah. Exactly. And I think that there, there may be an example going on right now, and that is AI. People think AI is new. The commercial application just yeah. really started to hit for everybody. But it's been out there and it's been utilized for well over 30 years. It's improved and improved and improved. But people were talking about how revolutionary AI was going to be back in the early 1990s. So yes. it's not that new, and it took a lot of time to get there. The nice part about my technology is I'm actually months away from getting material into the hands of researchers 
that are signed on as collaborators or partners. I just need right. to execute. Yeah. And a thought about AI, you know, you mentioned that you were trying to get a kind of a report on Biosortia, so to speak, or a, an explanation of it. And you got this amazing result with AI, but there's all with ChatGPT, but there's also the flip side to that is it's based on the amount of information that's available. Right. So to date, it means on the one hand, good information has been put out there, not misinformation. So that's good because it didn't pull a lot of garbage that, you know, but the more exposure one gets, the more chances there are for misinformation and the less reliable the AI tool will be because it will be pulling from a more muddied, you know, atmosphere. So then it's, you know, the risk becomes greater. So the more exposure you get, the greater the risk that somebody will get it wrong, yeah. <laughs> which in a way, except that if you combine AI with the human touch, then you're balancing it out. You're doing the quality checking on the other side and you're, you know, you're putting your time into checking quality and veracity versus, you know, spending all this time putting things together. You know, yeah, putting and, it into words. Yeah, putting and I think, words, I think that's true. Yeah, putting it into words, by the way, for an interested party is not as daunting. See, here, what I like, what we're getting at is that for all of the very, very important aspects of what Biosource is doing, and we're talking about what I know, which is branding and messaging. One of the big, big mistakes I made in the science side of it is... I really thought this was a no-brainer and that we would have been able to move forward without that scientific backbone of credibility from the outsiders. We thought we had enough really good information internally. But I tell you, I think we're on to the next stage. We graduated from knowing what we know and talking about what we know to what others have been able to learn and find out. And now we've got other, let's call them megaphones, loud boxes for what they've learned about what we're doing. The credibility scale in science matters. And I made the mistake of thinking this was such a no-brainer yeah. that, that I didn't really have to have outside credibility to the level I'm now getting it. And this new information is so supportive to the overall branding. It was missed well, on my part. Well, that is that is something that's missed in, in a lot of industries. If I don't know if you've ever done a meeting in Hollywood with movie executives, but that's the same, the same holds true there. I did a I did with my writing partner many years ago, a hundred meetings in in Hollywood, and we were meeting with Universal and we pitched them this idea. And it was we took a big risk. It was a 45-minute pitch. And that's like you're supposed to do like 15 minutes. And this was pretty high-level heads of the studio type of, you know, top executives at the studio. We were very fortunate. We did this. 
pitch and it was uh it was it would it would have been you know had it gotten bought a, a Tom Cruise movie like a big tentpole movie and we do this pitch and and they and everybody's like been really into it and they say well that's that is amazing the guy out in the waiting room who we've actually made wait while we listen to this pitch is Tony Gilroy a writer who we've just bought Born Identity you know, we're doing that movie. We're basically in the midst of that movie and that release plan and everything. And there are certain similarities. It's not like, you know, like one is completely like the other, but we're we're basically committed to this tentpole. And so we can't buy yours, but man, is it good. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, we didn't have the the outside validation to get in there earlier and to get in there in time or whatever it was. But, you know, you there's no such thing as a slam dunk, right? Because we don't control all the external forces. That was kind of my point. And I think in Hollywood and in science, there's personalities that are easily fundable without even knowing what they're going to do. Right, yes. And it's hard to believe that would be true in science. But there are yeah. people that have exited a company and VCs are like, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? We're ready to throw money to you. I don't care what project you work on. We want to do that. And I think there is in Hollywood too. So we've yeah. got a dynamic where personalities always play out as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's true. You have to be very fundable to get that through that door. And I think though, that it's also a matter of same thing in both businesses of perseverance and you know a refusal to quit you know a refusal to give up because that door is right around the corner that open door that thing that breakthrough I that couldn't disagree with that in any way i think yeah. you hit on something that's so important that perseverance that tenacity that determination you better be right but you better have the mindset that you're going to, let's say, get punished for being right. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. So give, take us out. Take us out. You've given us a lot. You've given us a lot to chew on and a lot. And it's a pleasure to speak with you, you know, as it was prior when we had a wonderful conversation. I'm glad this one is for the show and it's recorded. And I think the audience is going to love it. But take us out with a message to business owners and entrepreneurs who are doing just that. They're persevering. Most of them are trying to find a combination between business and purpose, and they're trying to make it work out for them. What thoughts could you share? Yeah, I'm going to share a thought that isn't my own original thought, but I sure embrace it. And I've been involved in a, a peer group educational format for over 20 years. And one of the things that we learned is that humans have their certain behaviors. And when we think things are always going well, we always believe they're going to go well. When things are going not so well, we always believe they're going to go not so well. So entrepreneurs, those that should be tenacious and determined, when it's going up, they don't sell. 
So their own tenacious determination to continue to enjoy the benefits they have seen skyrocketing, they typically miss it as it starts to slide down. The same thing is true right now. A lot of small businesses, a lot of businesses are experiencing this and they're getting, you know, defeated. They're getting beat up. They're working harder than they've ever worked in their life. And all I can say to those people is try to find a way through it because it's not always going to do this. And, and some people could say, the economy is still humming. No, when interest rates have climbed as fast as they've had, there is so many businesses, most of them smaller businesses, that have been crushed since the beginning of this pandemic. And now this is the second crush for those businesses. And all I'm saying is find a way, be tenacious, be determined. It's going to turn and you're going to have an opportunity to enjoy all those years of hard work. If you've enjoyed this episode of Brand Voice Runway, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. The positive reinforcement keeps us going. Who am I kidding? Founders like us keep going regardless. Thanks so much for listening and make tomorrow greater than today.